looking at John chapter 14, verses 6 to 9 this morning as we complete our look at Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and guess what it is today? The life. Uh, By the grace of God, we are at the life and Jesus proved that he is uh, indeed the life because death could not hold him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 6 this morning. As we'll read that passage and then I'll ask for the Lord's blessing during this time. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Let's commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time we can look into your word and be taught by you. And indeed, we ask that you would teach us directly, that our hearts would be open to your truth. And Lord, that you would simply use me as an instrument in your hand. Father, I pray that the words I speak would only be those words that you would have me speak. And Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one of us with something this morning that would bless our hearts, but also cause us to be more holy as you are holy that we would seek to be more like our Saviour, just that little bit more today. We just thank you once again that we serve a risen Saviour. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Over the past week, we have seen the number of deaths from the coronavirus soar all around the world. Um, At the moment, or from last count, at least six to 7,000 people are dying each and every day as a result of this. And our hearts go out to those cities, especially that are overwhelmed with the numbers of deaths. We've seen some terrible images coming out of places like New York City, where they're building trenches to, to, um, to bury people because they don't have uh, enough uh, space uh, to have proper funerals. Um, so death is, uh, is on everyone's mind at the moment. It's literally what we see 24 hours a day on the TV, and on pretty much every other uh, form of media that we have. Um, Many cities, as I said, are struggling to deal with the deaths and burials. And Australia has not experienced this type of struggle just yet. But our prayer is that we would not get to that stage uh, in this country in the coming days. But by the grace of God, we won't. Um, But death has been around a lot longer than the coronavirus and while the death toll uh, from, the, uh, from the COVID-19 has now reached over 100,000 people in this world, which is a staggering number just in itself, um, we mustn't forget that people die from many other ways uh, in this world each and every day. And just to put things in perspective, cancer takes on average in the world around 10 million people every year. 10 million people die from cancer, one form or another, around the world each and every year. Road accidents kill about 1.3 million people each and every year. A heart disease, those who, who, have, uh, who heart, die from heart attacks and related, uh, and related uh, diseases, around 17 million people every year die from that. Influenza takes about 470,000 people 
uh, every year all around the world. And then there are strokes, there are murders, there are suicide, there are accidents, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, the problem with coronavirus, and you might say, well, hang on a sec, but if all those people are dying already in that way, why is, why is corona people making such a big deal about coronavirus? Well, the problem with coronavirus is that it's adding on top of those numbers now. And literally overnight, within a matter of a, a couple of months now, um, those numbers that we would normally, our, our health systems would normally deal with over the course of a whole year um, are now happening literally overnight. And if we allow it to run unabated, the reason that we are in our homes at the moment is that the government is hoping that um, the spread of this thing would not be so dramatic that we do see millions and millions dying as a result of it. And uh, by the looks of it, um, we are controlling this thing in, in, in actually a little bit better than what we thought. But death is something that's been around since the beginning. On average, uh, 150,000 people die each and every day in the world. 150,000 people every day die from one reason or another uh, in this world. And eventually it catches up with everyone. Death and suffering are constant companions to everyday life. And despite our advancements uh, in science, uh, medicine and surgery, it seems that, uh, it, that it's the common things on most people's minds um, is that it's never enough. Despite all the advancements, despite all the things that the doctors do and the new medicines that come out and the new surgeries that come out and all the different things that, that we, would, we love to celebrate in terms of our advancement in this world, um, it never seems to be enough. People just keep on dying. And death and suffering are things that have plagued mankind for thousands and thousands of years and they're both still with us today. And the Bible has much to say about this particular topic. Uh, and it teaches very clearly that death and, death and suffering are the result of mankind's sin and rejection of God. So essentially, the Bible says, while God made us in a perfect environment, he gave us everything we need to live uh, lives without death and suffering. But we rejected that. We chose to go our own way. And because we sinned and we continue to sin, um, God has pulled back a bit. He hasn't, he hasn't let us go completely. But he doesn't force himself into our lives. And in fact, most of the world uh, has rejected God. And the reason we see so much death and suffering around us is because mankind continues to reject God. And what this speaks about is our weakness and desire for self-worship rather than worshipping the true God. That we have a problem and our problem is sin. And while the world has many ways of, uh, of seeing death and while death has many ways of visiting itself upon mankind, um, the underlying uh, reason for all of that, the Bible says, is sin. Uh, we have one disease which is uh, far and above every other disease that we can, um, we can measure and we, uh, and we don't like and we fear, uh, and that's sin. Sin is the ultimate cause of death, and sin is the ultimate reason we see all the decay and death and suffering around us. But we have a problem, and we have a, the problem is that we have a nature that's inclined to sin. It wants to sin. It thrives on it. Um, Romans tells us that we, as people, as a world, have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and have worshipped and served the creature or the creation rather than the creator. This rejection of God is called the fall of man, which began in a perfect garden. 
and has continued ever since. Mankind is fallen and he refuses to be helped up. That's a bit like you tripping down the street, falling flat on your face. And then here comes God and says, here, let me, let me take you by the hand and lift you back up and, and let's walk together. Uh, and we say, no, we'll make our own way up. Thank you very much. So mankind has fallen, but because of foolish pride, we reject God's help. So unfortunately, we will continue to see uh, what we have seen for a very long time until God finally puts it right. But I'm not here to talk about death and suffering today. Instead, I have some good news for you all. And the good news is that Jesus is alive and well. And right now, he's sitting right next to his father, um, having defeated death and the grave, and that he was, even though he was crucified in the most horrible way, he was resurrected in the most glorious, in the most glorious fashion. Now that's something to celebrate. That's good news to remind ourselves of today. And isn't the love of Jesus something absolutely wonderful? If you have Christ in your life today, you have reason to celebrate despite what we see around us because Jesus loves us and he gave his life for us and he rose again on the third day proving who he was. Despite the conditions that we've created for ourselves, God chose to enter into this fallen world and to walk a mile in our shoes. He endured all that, endured all that suffering and went through all of it because of love. That's the amazing thing about God. Ultimately, his love motivated him to endure suffering and death. And having done all to open the doors to forgiveness, he defeated death and rose again on the third day. That is the message of Easter. The message of Easter is an empty tomb. An empty tomb signifies and shows us the power of God. And we celebrate Easter today, and we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Um, we should remember, as we do this, that no other religion in the world has an empty tomb. None. We're the only people in this planet who follow a leader who died and came back to life. This resurrection is what makes Christianity totally unique among the world's religions, and is by virtue of this that Jesus stands apart from every religious leader or teacher that have ever walked this earth because he alone rose from the grave and defeated death forever. No other religion or no other religious leader has died in full view of trained executioners, has had a guarded tomb with soldiers in the front of it, and then rose three days later to appear to many people. In fact, the Bible tells us that up to 500 people saw him. The resurrection is proof of who Jesus is and that he accomplished what he set out to accomplish. And he says that he provides the only means of redemption for mankind because of his work, because of who he is. Buddha never rose from the dead. Muhammad hasn't risen from the dead. Confucius and Krishna have not risen from the dead. Only Jesus is physically risen from the dead, walked on water, claimed to be God, and raised other people from the dead. Now that's a special person. 
Through the resurrection, God fulfilled the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and even to Adam and Eve to send a saviour who would give life to the world and give his life for the world. This is the theme of the Bible, that though we see death and decay and suffering around us, we have confidence that Christ has defeated death. And if we are in, if we are in Christ, then we have eternal life and death cannot hold us either. Turn with me to, to, in your Bibles to Job chapter 19, who even before Christ came, believed already that God had the power to resurrect him. Job, one of the earliest books written in the Bible, actually already believes in a resurrection. Job chapter 19, verse 25 to 27 says this, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. This is Job's Job's testimony that he believed that his Redeemer would stand upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes <coughs> excuse me, shall behold. And not another, though my reins be consumed within me. <coughs> I have to know how to, how to cough properly here. We have come to the conclusion of this series, and by the grace of God, we have looked at how Christianity is unique among the religions of the world. In the way it describes salvation, the truth that it delivers, and now the life that it promises. But Christianity is nothing without Christ. And it is Christ who is truly unique among, uh, the only really unique one, who is the one that makes all these claims for himself, not for a religion. See, Jesus doesn't say that Christianity is the way, Christianity is the truth, and Christianity is the life. No, he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Today, we come to the final claim of Jesus in this passage. Jesus is the life, and he proved it. According to Jesus, real life means to know God, to have a real relationship with him. Turn to John chapter 17, verse 3 with me. And what I'd like to do is to focus us in on what is the purpose of this eternal life and what does it actually mean? John chapter 17, verse 3 says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The eternal life offered by Jesus Christ is entering into a living relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. This God, who is holy, 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 three times holy, who is all-powerful and omniscient. This God, who loves mankind beyond our understanding of, and, and of all, our, all our faults and all our problems, he still loves us. Jesus offered restoration of a relationship that had broken down all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And for a Christian, if you think about it, heaven is not really about a place. I mean, we may look forward to, to you know, streets of gold and, and a house that, that Jesus is building for us and, and you know, the beauty that we're going to see there. But really, for the Christian, 
Heaven is not really about a place. It's about a person. It's not about a reward. Because even the Bible says that all those, uh, those who stand before him will give him crowns. The Bible says that they throw their crowns back down at his feet and say, really, he's, he's the one who deserves them, not us. And that's really the case for us as well. Eternal life is not about heaven and streets of gold and crowns and rewards. Really, it's about him. And it's not about rewards. It's about a relationship that God's given us. And we have that already. There's nothing more precious to us than that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ as Lord. Everything else really pales into insignificance. Not crowns, not rewards, not anything else really um, is as important as a relationship that God has given us through Jesus Christ. In contrast to this, the other religions don't offer you the same. In Buddhism and some traditions of Hinduism, the destination is nirvana. And nirvana is essentially the cessation of yourself and the elimination of all desire. Well, if you eliminate self and all of desire, you don't have any relationships. In fact, they're two very important parts of relationships. Attachment one to another is a relationship. And a cessation of self, where you don't exist anymore, is not relationship. So Buddhism and Hinduism don't offer you a relationship. In fact, according to the tradition, it was on the very night that his own son was born that Buddha uh, left to pursue a life of detachment from anything or anyone that could cause him suffering. He ran away from suffering. He, he threw away the relationship with his own child because he wanted to seek complete detachment from the world and from suffering. Now contrast this to Jesus Christ, who did everything he possibly could to attach himself to our suffering because he pursued a relationship with us. This is the exact opposite. One runs away from suffering and relationship. One runs to it and in the midst of the suffering to, ha to have a relationship. Yeah, likewise, I mean, Islam. The destination of Islam or the paradise that it, that it offers has nothing to do with a relationship with Allah. The paradise spoken of in Islam is one in which Allah is not even there. It's not even mentioned. Is entirely absent. Instead, paradise is depicted as a place of carnal pleasure. Christianity is distinctive in its claim. Because in its claim to lead to God. But actually, there's a twist here. There's a twist. If we are being precise, Christianity doesn't claim to lead us to God. In fact, it claims the opposite. It claims that God came to find us. He chose to pursue a relationship with us and he came in the midst of our nightmare that we created here. The Bible tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Contrary to every other major belief system, the Christian God, the one true God, doesn't treat us according to our sins, our weaknesses and our iniquities. He loves us despite that. And that love has driven him to chase us so that we might have a relationship with him. 
And because where we're heading is not based upon what we've done or what we're going to do or how well we do it, but is simply based on what God has already done. Regardless of what we do, we can be assured of the destination. Salvation, according to Christianity, and the gift of salvation that God gives us and grants us, tells us that we can't do it. So it's not about our efforts. It's about His effort. And that's what we're celebrating today for Easter. We are celebrating the effort that He went to, the lengths He went to, the love that He demonstrated, and the power that He demonstrated during this time. What Jesus achieved for us is assurance of salvation. We can be assured of salvation because of what he did, not because of what we did or what we shall do. It's not based on my effort. Now, there are two important features to Easter time, and that's that road to Calvary, the suffering that that our Saviour went to, which culminated in that cross where he died as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world, which means he took upon himself the sins of the entire world. He paid the penalty, which shows us most clearly, more than anything else, the amazing love of God. If there's one event in the history, if you look through your entire Bible and you, and you scour everything, that interaction that God had with mankind... Through all of its pages, there is one event in the history of mankind that shows the love of God more than anything else, and that is that cross. The cross of Calvary shows the love of God clearer than anything else in the history of mankind. But if the cross was the clearest indication of God's love for mankind, the resurrection is clearly the best demonstration of God's amazing power. It is the resurrection and God's triumphant, uh, God's, uh, sorry, uh, win over uh, death that shows his power most clearly. It is the resurrection that establishes our hope. It is Sunday. It is Sunday that we can celebrate even though Friday seemed grim. It is a resurrection that empowered the apostles to go and preach boldly to the entire world, even though beforehand they were consumed with fear and defeat. The resurrection gives us hope for the future. The resurrection is the clearest indication and demonstration of God's amazing power, that he can actually bring someone back from the dead. This is the same power that God uses to take the heart of a lost sinner and transform that heart into the heart of a saint. That's the hope that we have in God's power. The resurrection is the reason that we meet on Sundays and not Saturdays. It's because Sunday declares the beginning of a new agreement between God and mankind. Salvation is by his grace, and that grace came through his son. And we meet on Sundays because on that Sunday he rose from the grave. 
and the new agreement was sealed. But what if the resurrection was not true? What if we're meeting here, celebrating a resurrection and it wasn't true? What would that mean? We'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because the Apostle Paul actually answers this question, amazingly. You would think that someone who's, you know, who's uh, um, uh, preaching the gospel and trying to convince others of the, uh, you know, of the truths of it, that you would have this, this, this passage in the Bible that says, well, if it wasn't true, this would be the result. Um, but this is the confidence of the writers of Scripture. And this is the confidence that we have. And this is the, one of the reasons that we know this thing is true. Because God wrote these words and God is always true. God has zero to hide from us, but he's always perfectly truthful and open with us. And look at what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at verse 13. It says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. How's that for a passage? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men in this world the most miserable. Now look at look at the look at the, the summary of this thing. It says he says if Christ is not risen from the grave, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then our preaching is in vain. In other words, we are wasting our time. I'm wasting my time being with you here this morning, sharing this, this particular truth with you, with this, this information with you. Because our preaching then, my preaching, my confidence and the time I've spent preparing this message is based on a lie. It's worthless. That's what vanity is. Worthless. Something that's useless. Things put, people put their, 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 their hope and their faith and their time into vain things, but they're ultimately purpose. Uh, they have no purpose. They have no use. They're worthless. So Paul says, if, if, if Christ isn't risen from the grave, then our preaching is useless. It's worthless. And then he goes on to say that our faith is, is in vain. Our whole belief system is futile. The whole reason we get together and all these things we encourage each other with really don't mean anything. We may as well go out and enjoy ourselves. It is having confidence and trust in something that will not be able to fulfill our expectations. If Christ has not risen from the grave, then faith is a pointless exercise. In addition to that, not only is our preaching a waste of time, not only is our meeting together and celebrating and coming together, and uh, although we do have a good time, um, is also a, a wasted effort. It's, it's, it's celebrating a lie. He then says that we are found false witnesses of God. What's a false witness? Well, uh, to, to give a witness, to give a false witness is to essentially lie. 
to, to put your hand up in a court of law and say, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, but then go and tell the absolute lie on top of that. So when Paul says that we are, we are found false witnesses if Christ didn't rise from the grave, that means that we are lying about God and about what he's like, even if there is a God. Paul then goes on to say that if, if this resurrection is not real, is not true, then we are still in our sins. We're claiming that the blood of Christ has cleansed us from our sins and that God accepted that payment because he rose again on the third day, which proved who he was. But if there's no resurrection from the dead, if he hasn't risen from the grave, then God hasn't accepted that payment for our sins. And the blood of Christ has not cleansed us from sins and we're still in them. And we're going to have to pay for them. It also means that those who have gone before us, those who have already died believing in Christ, are perished. They're lost eternally. There's no hope for them. There's no hope to bring them back and say, hey, guys, we've got to change. We've got something wrong over here. And there is no hope. We'll see them again. And if hope in Christ is what epitomizes the life of a Christian, then if Christ isn't risen again from the grave or risen from the grave, then as Paul says, we are really the most miserable people on the planet. If someone ever found a tomb that had Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph and Mary, and he was in there, and his bones were in there, and they could prove that it was him, then the result would be devastating to our faith. Would be absolutely devastating. And the Apostle Paul says as much. But Paul, who originally spent time persecuting Christians, who was there in that generation when, the, when he was persecuting the apostles, the ones who were with Christ in those early days, was absolutely sure that this wasn't the case. So he went from someone who persecuted Christianity, saying it was a lie, saying that what the resurrection wasn't true, to someone who said the resurrection is absolutely true. And you know why? Because he said he met Jesus after his resurrection. And so this man who didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in Christ, wanted to wipe out all Christians because he believed the whole thing was a lie and a concoction. Says in his own testimony, you know why I believe? Because I met the risen Saviour. I met the risen Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Acts chapter 22, verse 6. Acts 22, verse 6. This is Paul's testimony. And if you want to read um, all of chapter 22, that's a great testimony. If you want to read that for yourself, we'll just read three verses this morning. But Acts 22 verse 6 says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Take time to read that passage for yourself. That's Paul's testimony as someone 
who was actively going out to imprison Christians and to track them down wherever they were, in a moment he was transformed to someone who became, who went from a persecutor to a church planter. Despite his background in Judaism, despite a promising future in that particular faith and religion, despite the reputation that he had and the amazing training that he had, he threw it all away and became and willingly became one of the persecuted himself. This same man willingly went to his death in Rome, preaching and declaring that Jesus had risen from the grave and that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Why? Because he had a personal encounter with Jesus after he was crucified. Peter went from a denier, someone who denied Jesus three times on the night of his crucifixion, to someone who was openly declaring that Christ was alive and well and that he had risen from the grave. His bold confession showed that he had had a massive transformation and he preached about Christ, even though he was beforehand hiding before thousands in Jerusalem. Even in the face of threats and imprisonments and beatings, Peter boldly proclaimed the truth. And what was that truth? That he knew that Jesus rose again from the grave. How? Because he saw him. He had a personal encounter with him after. Turn me to John chapter 20, verse 19. It tells us in John 20, 19, Then the same day at evening, before the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled assembled for fear of the Jews, so they were living in fear, they were being persecuted already, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus uh, to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. The testimony of the disciples, of the apostles, was that they saw Jesus risen from the grave. And one of those who stood out and stands out to probably most Christians when we read the, the account of the Gospels is that Thomas went from, and, and he's got this nickname of Doubting Thomas, because he, he was the one who didn't get to see Jesus at a particular time. Um, he went from a doubter to a believer. And history tells us that Thomas became an evangelist in Persia. What happened to Thomas? The Bible says that he had a personal encounter with Jesus. Actually, turn to John. Look at verse John 20, verse 26. Just a few verses down from where you were before. Look at this. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, which means they were indoors. And Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. And he knew that Thomas was doubting. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand. 
and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. What a statement. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. We're blessed to be in that position. We are truly blessed. We haven't seen, but we've come to believe. Thomas had to see the the risen Christ for himself. But we, through the testimony of these men whose lives were transformed and the writings of God's word, who God made sure was written down and preserved for us today, we have that testimony which has changed our lives. We've, We've met Jesus in a personal way. In fact, all the apostles, when you look at it, experienced a transformation in their lives. They were at one time afraid and not sure, and then essentially overnight became bold and courageous. They all went to their graves declaring that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he had risen from the grave. There is no greater testimony, there's no greater evidence in all of ancient history. doesn't matter which uh, person in ancient history you want to take. Even Alexander the Great and all those, all those people. There is no more greater testimony than the testimony given concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What am I saying by that? It's one of the most provable events in the history of mankind. From the historical description of the day, all the details the Bible gives us about who was governing and who was where and what, what, uh, uh, what uh, um, uh, traditions that were being carried out and, and what was going on and, and uh, the landmarks and all those different things. When you put all those things together, there's no greater testimony about the life of Jesus and the life, death and burial uh, uh, and resurrection of Jesus than any other historical figure, both in Scripture and out of Scripture. This day, we celebrate and commemorate this message and this truth that has stood the test of time. The spread of the gospel in the Roman Empire was despite the persecutions that came from the government and from from the Jews and from other people who wanted Christianity wiped off the face of the map. The spread of the gospel came from people who were fully convinced of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that truth has changed the world and continues to give hope to a despairing people. Because this resurrection is trustworthy, we can celebrate this morning with a full heart. Our preaching is not in vain. It's not. We can share the truth of this this knowledge, which continues to save souls and transform lives. Our lives are once again are a continuing testimony of the amazing ways in which God transforms people's lives and offers them hope. It's done that to us and it's done it to thousands and millions before us. The testimony of what we see in our culture, the bedrocks of the Western civilization, really stand upon the Gospels and the truths of God. The, God, the, the resurrection of Christ has changed this world forever in the most amazing way. Our preaching is not in vain. Our preaching is sure. Our preaching can be confident. And our faith is sure. 
and our hope in Christ will bear fruit in our lives, both now and in the future when we will see him face to face. We are not false witnesses. We can positively declare that what we speak is the truth and that everyone needs to know that truth to change their lives. In John 21, 24, the Apostle John says, This is the disciple which testifieth, testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. We know that those who have put their faith in Christ are now completely forgiven of their sins. Just like Peter. Turn to Acts chapter 10 verse 40 with me. Peter's declaration, Peter's preaching after he saw the risen Christ. After Jesus sent him to preach this gospel message in Acts chapter 10 verse 40. Peter declares these things in front of those who didn't want to hear them. He said him. In verse 40, John 10 verse 40, him, this is speaking about Christ, God, God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, he says, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead, of the living and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall have shall receive remission of sins. We can have confidence that all those who have put their faith in Christ and have died are now with their Saviour, are now in heaven. Our desire should be that others might also share this amazing life that we have and this hope we have to look forward to. And finally, those who have hope in Christ are the most blessed people. Not the, not the worst or the most miserable, but the most blessed people. We have a joy that, that other people, we don't see other people have. We are the most blessed people on this planet. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. If we would just consider the benefits of knowing Jesus and putting our trust in him, we would find an enormous list of the benefits that we have that the world does not have. Let me name just a few of them for you. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we can gather today, together today electronically or in face-to-face, hopefully soon. Because of this resurrection, we now have peace with God. We have a peace that, that defies all understanding. We have a peace with God that we didn't have before. We have grace that's delivered by God each day for us in order to live and overcome every obstacle and suffering that comes before us. We're not afraid. We don't run away from suffering. We don't need to fear suffering and death. In fact, we meet it head on. Death is no barrier to us. It's simply a hurdle we jump over. We have a bright hope and a future which is assured. We have a saviour and a God who loves us immensely and has shown us that love and continues to show us love. We have the Spirit of God within us now who's helping us to grow, who's guiding us into God's truths. We have a new life. We have all our sins forgiven. We have a new start. We have a reason to live. We have a purpose for life. We have a purpose to be here. We have no fear of death. We have a treasure in heaven. 
We have a perfect um, uh, uh, book in our hands that God has given to us that we can use, that brings life, and we can share it with others. We have an understanding, and we have the answers to all the big questions of life that all make sense. We have protection against any threat. We have guidance for all of our life. We have fellowship both with God and with the brethren that we didn't have before. We have promises that God will supply all of our needs. We have a saviour who cares for us, who is our advocate in heaven. And I can go on and on and on and on. There are hundreds of benefits. If we would just ponder them, we would remind ourselves and not be distracted by the, the fears and anxieties of this world. It should give you confidence for life. In the face of the fears of this world, you and I can be people of great joy. What reason do you have to fear if the Lord Jesus is on your side? He has won the battle for you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has said that we are more than conquerors in him. Death cannot separate you from his love. Suffering cannot separate you from his love. He will never stop loving you. He's promised you eternal life and he is and has perfect integrity. He keeps every promise he ever makes. And he has the power to resurrect you and I from the grave even if we do physically die. And he has done it already himself. There is no need to stress. There is no need to fear or live in anxiety because of a virus because of persecution, for lack, or anything else that comes before us or meets us. There is no reason to fear. We are called to do something, though. We are called to love him. We are called to live for him. We are called to the best of our, our abilities and by the grace of God to love those around us as best we can. The rest, leave up to him. Leave to him. He's got everything under control. He knows what's coming tomorrow. We don't know it, but you know what? Don't have to. I don't have to know. When you've got Christ with you, tomorrow is no fear. Tomorrow is no obstacle. Because even if death comes to meet us tomorrow, he's already defeated death. And he'll defeat it for me and for you as well. Not all religions are the same. There is one that stands distinct from all of them. And the reason is because of the central figure. Because of the person of Jesus Christ. He towers far above every other God, every other religious leader, every other teacher, every other philosopher. He claimed not just to show the way or to teach the truth, or to lead us to life? Now he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I pray that you have a, bless, a blessed Resurrection Sunday today. I pray that this day would be a day of rejoicing for you. A day of renewed hope for you. A day when you share this hope with people around you. A day and a week when you draw closer to the Lord and celebrate that relationship that we now have with him. 
Remember to shine his light. Remember that who you are in Christ. You are now the children of God. You are the salt of the earth. Live like it. Glorify him in your life. And have no fear. He goes before you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the amazing work that was done by our Saviour, Jesus Christ. That he willingly went to that cross for our sin. But that even after that gruesome death, and after being buried in a tomb with a huge stone rolled to the front, that he triumphantly rose again from that grave and defeated death once and for all for us. We thank you for that amazing love that you show, that you showed us at Calvary. We thank you that because of your love, you sent your only begotten son into this world to save sinners like us. Help us to live lives of gratitude. Help us to live lives where we love you. Help us to live lives where we love those around us. Give us the grace that we need, that we might be a witness in this generation of your love and your mercy. Thank you once again for this time. We pray for your blessings upon every person that is listening to this message this morning. We pray for your Holy Spirit leading us into all truth. Help us to draw closer to you this week as we remember what was done for us at Calvary, as we celebrate the life that we now have in you. Bless those who are struggling, Lord, at this particular time. Bless those who don't know you. Bless those who still live in fear and in darkness. Help us to shine the light for them. Give us the words to speak. Give us the confidence and the boldness to speak them. Father, we pray for your blessing upon this world. We pray that you be glorified in the midst of the suffering and the death that we see. Be glorified in your children. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you all for being with us here this morning. Um, once again, God bless you. Uh, remember to share these links uh, with your family and friends if you'd like them to hear the gospel, if you'd like uh, them to know what we enjoy on a Sunday morning and what church is like, even though it is via video. I pray that you have a blessed week. Um, be careful. Be mindful of the responsibilities that we have to be good witnesses in this, uh, in this uh, culture, uh, in this uh, nation. Um, and goodbye and God bless for now.